We're continuing in our series, uh, uh, laying the foundation of the doctrine our, our church will be built on, and um, we're, we're trying to build it as fast as we can, because, and lay it as fast as we can, because we're, we're going to be building here shortly. So uh, as we continue to walk through that, I want to remind us, uh, first of all, what we've gone through already. Uh, we started out with the Trinity. We we're talking about uh, uh, God three in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Then we talked about Revelation, God Speaks. So we talked about the scripture itself and uh, just the truth that it's God's word, it's God breathed. Um, we talked about creation next, that God is the maker of the heavens and earth, um, led to um, that, that we are made in the image of God. Um, then to the fall, when we, talk, we saw in Genesis 3 that, that Adam and Eve broke the one command given to them, that to not eat of the tree of the uh, fruit of, fruit of the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil. And um, so we saw what what, what Eve started, Adam completed, and they were cast out of uh, the Garden of Eden, set us up uh, in that same line, all being from Adam, uh, to have this new sin nature in us and born in the sin nature. And then we covered the covenant, uh, God pursues. Then uh, we had in- incarnation, um, God comes, uh, which we're celebrating now in the season of, of, of God in the flesh and Jesus coming uh, uh, to earth. Um, as a baby, um, to save us from our sins. And Randy, last time we were in this series, Randy was talking about the cross um, and actually what Jesus did on the cross. Um, we looked at it that uh, Jesus dying for us took away our sins and also gave us his righteousness, which leads us up to resurrection, which we'll be covering tonight, the doctrine of resurrection. And so for an outline tonight, um, we're going to first start just define the resurrection. What, what is the resurrection? Then we'll look at evidence, uh, evidence that we have for the resurrection. Um, we'll look at some primary objectives, objections those outside of Christianity have towards the resurrection and, and really what should, our, should be our response to those. Um, and then last, uh, lastly, we will kind of look at the significance of the resurrection, what it has on our lives and also those outside of Christ. Um, so the way I kind of think... Um, I like starting with definitions, define what, what, start concrete and then build out from there. So first of all, we need to define the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so our working definition tonight that we'll kind of use as we continue to walk through this is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical event that whereby Jesus came back from physical death to newness of life with a glorified body never to die again. So I'll repeat that one more time. This is going to be our our working definition that the, his, it's a historical event whereby Jesus came back from physical death to newness of life with a glorified body never to die again. And so that's our definition. My mind also works like, okay, what is it not? You know, we, we, this is what our definition is going to be. So first of all, let's take off the table what resurrection is not. And so one, uh, first off would be uh, revivication or resuscitation. Um, you know, there was... There was no code blue team in the, the tomb that, you know, John wasn't doing CPR and Peter was drawing up epinephrine and sodium bicarb drip and, and Andrew was coming through with the paddles yelling clear. I mean, there was no, there's, there yes. So I thought maybe, I know I'm from a hospital background, but I thought maybe I watched the ER back in the day and saw all that. But, uh, you know, there was, that, what that is called is resuscitation. And that's when uh, someone dies and it comes back to life but only to die again. And um, we see this throughout the Bible. I mean, there's examples of Jesus raising 
people from the dead throughout his ministry, probably most notably is Lazarus when he raised Lazarus from the dead. But all these people, they were just resuscitated. They were revived. They were going to die again. <clears throat> so that's not resurrection. Uh, also, um, it doesn't simply mean life after death so far as, um, you know, life after death initially does not include a physical body. Um, so the resurrection refers specifically to a reuniting of a body uh, to the soul. And so that's um, what we kind of continue to define out. So with all that defined, I'm going to make attempt, instead of walking through the scriptures, kind of jog through it, you know, kind of push really quickly uh, through the Gospels because the four Gospels do emphasize um, the resurrection, all of them included. They all emphasize the empty tomb itself, but the, the Gospels itself, if you start looking at them, they, they provide additional details to the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. So what that really does is this variety of accounts, you know, su- suggests an independent witnesses that saw it. You know, it's not like one party line that everybody gets together and say, okay, we're gonna, this is going to be the story we're going to stick with. But you see that there's multiple witnesses um, that saw Jesus rise from the dead. And, and it's kind of like, you start reading it, you can't really even put a timeline on it. It's just, it's just, um, there's just so much in there. It's really neat to just kind of just look at all these accounts. Um, so we'll start in, in Matthew. So if you want to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to start in verse 1 and read a little bit. Then we'll, we'll skip on through like a stone through the four Gospels. All right. So Matthew 28, verse 1. It says, Now after the Sabbath, toward dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for the fear of the guards, and for the fear of the guards, trembled and became like dead men. But the angel sat, said to the women, "Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here; he is risen, as he has said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then quickly go and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you." So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up to him and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Um, the next part, I, I will read um, a, a verses 11 through 15, but I want to stop talking about additions or additional details the Gospels gives. Uh, specifically, Matthew, this is a additional detail of the report to the guards. I'll read it, and then we'll continue to move on. And my goal tonight at first was like kind of just walk through the Gospels, put all the evidence around us in the room through the Word, and then we can come back and talk about it when we start walking through the specific evidence of of the resurrection. So verse 11, it says, While they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they assembled with the elders and taking counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people he, <clears throat> tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ear, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. 
So they took the money and did, uh, and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So we'll keep marching, marching on. We're going to skip right over Mark because in Mark uh, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, the, the resurrection account is very similar to that of Matthew, what we read in the first 10 verses. Um, so the stone's going to land back down in John. So if you want to flip over, I'm sorry, in Luke, I'm, skip, I'm skipping too far. Um, if you flip to Luke chapter 24. And we see in the first 12 verses, um, very similar account of the actual empty tomb. Um, uh, scripture we read in Matthew. So what I'll do here uh, an additional detail of Luke is um, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. So I'll, I'll summarize that really quick, and then we will we'll pick up reading, I think, in verse 33 is where I'll, I'll pick up. So in Luke 24, we have the resurrection, the empty tomb. Uh, and then we see this account starting in verse 13 on the road to Emmaus. So there's two disciples walking on the road. Jesus comes up and walks with them, but their eyes are kept from knowing it was Jesus. So Jesus, they continue to walk, and... And Jesus starts to teach them. Um, he begins with Moses and all the prophets. He interprets to them all the scriptures that uh, concerning himself. And so they get to Emmaus, and Jesus, you know, he's going to keep going. And they talk Jesus into coming in to, to have a meal with them. And, and so in verse 30 it says, He sat at the table with them and took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And, th- and their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. So this is when their eyes were open. They realized it was Jesus. Um, they, in, in 33, I'll, I'll pick up in 33 and we'll continue to read down. It says, And they rose that same hour and returned at, to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and that those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened to them on the road and how he was known to them in the beginning, oh, I'm sorry, in the breaking of the bread. Um, continue reading on here. Uh, it says, As they were talking about these things, Jesus stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do, you, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as, I, as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while, they were, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. All right. So let's continue um, our march through the Gospels. We'll hit John. Uh, if you go to John chapter 20. Randy, how hard would this... Because you're here and out there. Randy, how hard would it you to be to read all that scripture and not stop and explain stuff? <laughs> I was thinking about what I was saying. I was going to do this. Randy's like, all right. And now the first day, well, let's stop here. James is like, oh, oh, oh. get through the first verse. Can you hear that again? 
<laughs> All right. So we're gonna we're gonna hit John up and um, a couple more passages, and then we'll we'll have a time to discuss. So far, what you've covered would have taken me three hours. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So John chapter twenty. Um, once again, first ten verses, very similar account of the empty tomb. Um, Eleven through eighteen, we have um, a little bit more additional details of Jesus' appearance to Mary Magdalene. Then we have a similar account, 19 through 23, that we just read about in Luke, about Jesus' appearing to the disciples. But specifically here um, in the book of John is this uh, detail about Jesus and Thomas. Um, so if you pick up with me in chapter 20, verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see and his hands the marks of the nails and place my hand my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side i will never believe eight days later his disciples were inside again and thomas was with them although the doors were locked jesus came and stood among them and said peace to peace be with you then he said to thomas put your finger here see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side do not disbelieve but believe Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, you have, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So that hits the four Gospels. Um, there's a verse in Acts I want to read for us. In Acts chapter 1 verse 3, it says, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during a 40-day period, speaking about the kingdom of God. Um, and then one other scripture to, to reference in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, Paul has a, a detailed account of the resurrection. Let me get to it. So 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. Randy covered this in his... Um, Talk on the cross, but we'll pick up in verse 3. It says, For I delivered to you as first importance, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So, all right. Got the evidence on the board. We've walked through it. Um, I want to remind us of the, our working definition. Um, it's, uh, the resurrection of Jesus is a historical event whereby Jesus came back from physical death to newness of life with a glorified body, never to die again. So, based on your what we've read tonight, your studying prior... What are, what are some evidence, uh, or what's the evidence for the resurrection? He talked to lots of people. Okay. To, it wasn't just the 12. He appeared to lots of people. So we got this, uh, he appeared to many people at many different times. So it's about a 40-day period. We talk about as a, a group up to 500. Um, all right. That's good. Anything else? Let me ask you this. To have a resurrection, you have to first be what? Dead. Dead. All right? So what kind of evidence that we have 
Um, and Randy really walked through that two About weeks ago. The Okay, so you have an empty tomb. Um, that's that's the evidence there. Um, and actually, about the empty tomb, it's kind of neat that the Jewish opposition didn't deny the empty tomb. You know, they're, they're, what they tried to come up with was this, this story of his body being stolen. So, in fact, they're kind of admitting to the fact the tomb is empty. Um, so that's, that's pretty big evidence to put on the board. Um, so we got his death. Um, going back to that, I mean, it was... The crucifixion was, you know, there was it was what it was meant for it was for people to die. I mean, there was profession; they were professionals at it. Um, you know, and then when they, when Joseph of Arimathea goes back to ask for the body from Pilate, he's like, he's already dead, and and, and a centurion you know, proves it, says yes, he is dead. So I mean, like there was, you know, that's some other scripture to look at. That there's not a doubt there, and we talked about, you know, if there was any doubts. Uh, the spear was thrust in his side, um, puncturing in his heart. Well, he wouldn't have been able to appear the way he did, like having a coherent conversation. He wasn't dragging his body around. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Like, the way that he was, he said he couldn't even recognize that he was a man. If he had not been dead, I mean, just, you know, and then just drug his body out of the tomb. Just, just the way he came back where they could recognize it was him. And he didn't, the only thing that was left was the scars. Mm-hmm. So we have, it's a new body, it's a transformed body, um, you know, talking about the distinctions in Mary Magdalene, she recognizes his voice, and so there's some distinctions between that and his body, um, but, but what, what are some maybe evidence of the new body part besides just what it looked like? He the body and the spirit. Right. He ate. Okay. Right, so the physical, like it was a physical body, the importance there. Um, anything else? Eating and touching. It's probably the big, biggest. Matthew twenty-eight nine. Um, they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Um, Luke Luke twenty-four. When we walked through that, it's a ton. You know, he broke bread and he gave it to him. He did. They did eat. Um, and he specifically says in verse thirty-nine. You know, dispelling it, it said, "But touch me and see, for spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have." Um, This new body was. It also had. It was, just think about his movement. Where when we talk about reading the story, maybe something with the new body that was new, transformed. That's right. All right. So he seems to appear mysteriously to just, just show up, lock doors, or um, and disappear. It vanishes. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, and so the, probably the biggest thing of that, too, is when you read the account when the, on the road to Emmaus, those guys, I mean, it specifically says that he's, he's right there and then he's gone. Um, so that's some of the evidence of a new body because that's part of our working definition that it's a new body and it's transformed. Um, anything else? How about, um, let's think about his family. What do you know about his family before the resurrection and then 
his family after the resurrection, or their perspective of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a big transition there. How about his brothers? What do you know about his brothers before the resurrection and after? Or his sisters, too. <clears throat> All right. Um, I don't think it's more that they really understood the significance of them. Okay. They didn't really understand that you know, my brother is. Yeah, it, it's it's neat to see. Thinking about before um, in Mark three twenty one, um, you know Jesus is already on the scene. He's doing his ministry, and 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 his family come, and they think he's out of his mind. They're trying to get him. They're like, this, he's lost it. And so, I mean, they they didn't see that you know Jesus was Christ. He was the Messiah. Um, and also, uh, John seven uh, verse five it says specifically that uh, his brothers uh, didn't believe in him. They were kind of mockingly say you need to go up to the festivals and show yourself and so they didn't believe in him um and then and the the i guess kind of tied into that the whole family deal is that uh, in matthew chapter 13 and 53 through 58 there's a section there about um you can't be a prophet in your hometown so jesus is Nazareth, and they're looking at him like isn't this is the carpenter's son his, his mom's named mary and we know his brothers and sisters and they basically reject him um but, so that's before, but think about his brothers uh, after, um, do you know, you know, maybe he's thinking about, did any of them write any books of the Bible? <laughs> okay, this one is ready to ask, I just want to know, I didn't want to say that loud, I was wrong. One of the brothers, really, you don't really see anything about him until you get into the book of Acts, if I'm correct. Or, yep. And then he, the fact that he wrote a book of the Bible, mm-hmm. you know, but you don't really see him involved until after. That's correct. Um, in First Corinthians fifteen, when we read we read fifteen seven, it said he just appeared to James, and that's specifically talking about his brother. And so then we know that James he sets up. He's basically the lead pastor in the church in Jerusalem. I mean, he's 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 the one that's that's holding things together and pushing through. Um, and he you know he authored uh, the book of James, uh, so credit to him. Um, we also know the book of Jude is a credit to one of Jesus's brothers. And then going back to Acts in, in Acts verse chapter one verse fourteen, it says they uh, devoted themselves to prayer, including Mary the mother uh, of Jesus and his siblings. Like it says, his brothers. But when you try, dive down into the Greek of that, it talks about his siblings, so his brothers and sisters. So we got this paradigm shit, you know, from a family standpoint of like he's crazy. He's not, you know, he's a good guy. He does some crazy stuff, but you know, he's not. He's not God. And then after when they see him in his resurrection, I mean, this is a big change. I mean. I mean, y'all all support Randy and our family, but y'all know that he's not God, you know? So, I mean, like, it's a big change, you know? It's, uh, it's, it's, a, 
and from, from a mother, even a mother's standpoint of, of grieving for her son dying on a cross to being joyous to see his, her, you know, her Christ, the Messiah, raising uh, to, the, to the Father. So that's a big evidence itself of just this change in the family. Um, um, let's see, uh, how, about, how about the change of the disciples? Is there a change in how they acted before, or say, think about right before the cross. Well, not until after, really not until after they're in the upper room in Acts, and then the Holy Spirit comes upon them. After that point, then, there's courage, and yeah. and you see their bravery in, in just the whole persecution. And so that kind of points back to, well, if they had hid the body, they would still have been the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, if they knew the body was hidden somewhere, they wouldn't have had the courage and bravery. I do agree that the, a lot of their boldness came from the Holy Spirit descending on them because even what we read, they were locked in a room. They were kind of scared. Um, but, but as I, I dug a little bit deeper in it, you can, you can still see a change in them just from seeing the resurrection. I mean, if you start in the Garden of Gethsemane, I mean, they're running. And only, like, John's around at the crucifixion. Um, and so, they, I mean, they're scattered. And then um, when they see that what really kind of, when I was reading it this time and studying it, it really said, okay, there are starting to see a transformation. Um, that when Jesus came back and saw him, they started to like, we got to get the 12th guy back. You know, we got we to appoint somebody for Judas. I mean, we've got a ministry to do. And so in, in, um, in Acts, we see that they, they, they choose Matthias uh, to replace Judas. Uh, how about worship itself? How did worship change? From, from you thinking about these guys, they, were, they, were, they grew up, and, and Judaism and all that went with, um, and how did worship change from a standpoint of before the cross or before the resurrection to after the resurrection? It seemed like, like I was reading this morning, they talked about how there was, for, for a long time, it was a come and see, like come and see Christ, come and see what he's doing, come and see his ministry, his miracles. And then from like the, the resurrection to his ascension and then in the upper room in Acts and Worcester, it's like a go and tell mentality. So it's really like that the Holy Spirit starts moving for those 40 days or so from the come and see to go and tell. And with that is, is the difference in worship. Worship with Jesus on the earth is fellowship and talking with him and to others about him that are there, whereas definitely becomes much more missional worship becomes, you know, like even looking at Acts in chapter 2 about what the body of believers was doing, they were growing in number daily, they were fellowshipping, they were expanding, and, and so it's just, it seems like it went from a, a real intimate kind of community of believers and worshiping together to worshiping everywhere all the time. Mm-hmm. So it really seems like that, that it blew the, the roof open, so to speak, in what they're Like, I guess like in worshiping Christ, you know, and um, the push to to teach what he taught and to teach about his life, you know, and, and what he did while he was with them. That that focus from um Old Testament teaching to he's here, he's came, 
worship him, and now our lives are dedicated to him. Okay. So thinking about that, the Old Testament, what would that have gotten them? You know, what, what was that saying? Um, just think about the Ten Commandments. I mean, what had changed now? Um, they're coming from out of Judaism where the first two commandments, that they knew they were only supposed to worship one God. And now this was, they were proclaiming this was God. This was God's Son. And that from outside looking in, it was a big... It, was, it wasn't just for us... It's hard for us to grasp, I think, how much they were, how many years they had been in looking at one way. We have the Bible, we have the full story, and we can see it, but it's such a big change for them to say, look, I'm going to worship this guy, which was, you know, in, in an area that there's laws that they could be stoned for and be, be killed for. And you think about the, the worship itself, it changed from, from Saturday, their Sabbath, the fourth commandment, to keep it holy. It's the Saturday that worship all of a sudden changed to Sunday, the first day of the week. And so that was a huge shift. Um, um, that they are now worshiping on Sunday in memory of Jesus' resurrection. Um, and so that's, there's probably one more area I hit, and we'll move to uh, objections and how do we defend it. Um, and just think about the early preaching itself. We talked about Acts already. I thought it was a, a neat, uh, uh, I guess, statistic that the resurrection appears in 12 of the 28 chapters in Acts. So, I mean, this was like the foundation. This, the church preaching was centered on the historical fact of Jesus' resurrection. I mean, that's how foundational it was. That's how changing it was. And that's what they kept going back to as you, as you walk through Acts. Um, we've already hit some of them, but what would you say moving next in, in the outline, the, the primary objections to the resurrection that those outside of Christianity have and, and really what would be our response based on what the evidence is we've already talked about? So what's maybe one... So how what would be what would be our response? Somebody said, you know, you, and that's one of them that he didn't he didn't die on the cross. He just kind of passed out, and he looked like he was dead. Maybe it's just show evidence. Like, would it be just to show that just even historically, like we talked about the way that Romans killed people, you know, and what he had he'd gone through with the beating and the thorns in his head and, and hanging there on the cross. If he hadn't really been dead, and there was no way physically possible if he had just passed out for him to be able to unwrap himself drag, move the stone single handedly that way no way on the planet, drag his body out and then when the ladies see him that they wouldn't have run in terror mm-hmm. at the look of, of, what, of what he looked like at that point so that would just in the recovery process yeah. every time yeah And they didn't have a code blue team either. I just want to make sure. I remind you of that. I think what's uh, this actual refuting this this thought has, has brought study in this time has brought new light to me. Just the, the seriousness of it because 
when I was studying, it says the Muslim Quran actually teaches this as fact. I mean, that's what, when they look at the Jesus and the cross, this is what they teach as fact, that he didn't die. And they, they teach that, and they also teach um, that someone took his place. <laughs> Which is funny. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah there's a... They say, they say that... Um, like a twin brother, I saw, I was, re- I was someone, reading that. Someone, someone Anything else? Uh, so we've got that, and we talked about the, the cross itself, and you can always go back to the cross and what it was, and and um, the evidence we already talked about that that he was dead, and that they proclaimed that he was dead. How about the how about an objection of the wrong tomb? Have you heard anybody say that? Maybe they just went to the wrong tomb. They just <laughs> hey. It was, That's some that people see so people hang. That's a good point. So like, um, listening to some stuff on this, like those times, like people's tombs, it was a big deal. Like it was like buying property. People knew where they were. And actually, in Luke, when when I was studying this, thinking about these objections, going back through the scripture, in Luke twenty three verse fifty five says, "The women saw the tomb and how the body was laid." And then they went to get spices and stuff for the next day because of the Sabbath. So they actually saw it. Well, the Romans would have done this. Excuse me, idiot. The tomb is over there. The guys are still guarding it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The Romans would have jumped up and refuted that. But I'm like, what is wrong with you people? It's right over there. And if you want to, we can roll away. Right. And, and the yeah. Romans wouldn't have kept their mouths shut. Yeah. Or, or the Jewish authorities wouldn't have either. I'm Jewish. I'm sorry. Because the Jewish and that's it. They would have produced a body, the crustiest movement, you know, because that's what they were, they were trying. That's what they didn't want Jesus. Right. So we think that we can take that off the table. We can defend that um, because they would have produced the body. Um, the body was stolen away. Was the other one. Yeah, the body was stolen away. And you already talked about the Roman guards. Um, and these guys, yeah, they're just not taking a nap. You know, they're working. You know, if you go back and look, I've, I've done some studying about the guard itself and what that meant and how many were there and it being sealed and just the seriousness. You know, you mess up then and you're done. Yeah, it's it's your life. Um, And so, uh, and it really doesn't, if you really start pushing that way, I mean, it doesn't address the resurrection itself. I mean, you still have to show, they still have, I mean, the burden of proof is on them and we have so much evidence that he resurrected his appearances and what we have in scripture and also, I didn't go into it, but there's, like Josephus, there's, there's outside of the Bible, there's references in history where people talk about and document about Jesus and his resurrection and, and, and just how Christianity was just blowing up. You know, it's just like unbelievable that these people would die. We've kind of alluded to this, that these people would die for somebody and what they went through and um, how much that uh, this changed uh, individuals. Yeah, thinking about how afraid of
so I, I kind of relate that to Ahmadinejad um, saying that the Holocaust never happened. Well, the international community cries out, oh, that's horrible, I can't believe you said that. Well, when Paul was referencing that, hey, all these people saw Jesus, you don't see a historical account right. in that time frame of people saying, what didn't happen? Right. Good point. Um, and, and speaking of the 500, there's, there's one um, objection that people have to say maybe everybody hallucinated. This is just a figment of their imagination. That's some good drugs. Yeah. <laughs> and that usually happens to individuals when those good drugs are happening. You know, it's not like everybody's going on the trip with you. It's just that one person, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, like, there's, there's multiple people multiple times. And, and so um, I think we can, I think we feel confident uh, that we could defend our uh, stance on the resurrection on that point. Um, and then the last one uh, is that maybe it was just a spiritual resurrection and not a physical, which this is important too because, I mean, even when we have Second Timothy and, and, and some other books of, of the New Testament, like this heresy had already started in the church, that it was just a spiritual resurrection. It wasn't a bodily resurrection. So um, just to kind of recap, you know, we talked a bunch about that, that he appeared physically, and that's the big point of him eating and and saying that he wasn't a spirit, and they were able to touch him, and Thomas was able to put his hand in his side. So, um, right. All right. So, continuing to move on. Um, so we've, we've the shift now is kind of look at the significance of the resurrection. I think we've nailed down um, that, it, that it did happen, and we've got proof there, and we can stand on. But um, I'm going to read this verse to you, um, and then ask a question. And I'd ask for you to let it sit there for a second. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, it, it states this. It says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So I'd ask you, my question is then, why is this a true statement? I mean, how can you say this is a true statement? I mean, this is, this is, it's a lot on the table right here. I mean, this is pretty weighty to say that if Christ has not raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Chairs, and you go like, I don't know, like, the other day. He's like, you can believe that if you want, if you want to be part of a chair's energy. 
from the chair if you want. But, <laughs> you know, but just things like that. But there's this, because there's this, this, this desire and pride from every human heart to want to find significance within yourself and find and, and just how to teach, show them the, the, the news that the bad news of, of life and darkness because he believes that we're all innately good and perfect. Mm -hmm. There's so many similarities to every religion that's so closely related to the gospel. It's just enough deceptive, just enough untrue that it's just deceptive in its nature. So it's just hard to always know exactly where to direct that conversation and kind of do it in a loving way. When I did the creation talk, I made a statement that the Discovery Channel is not going to run a series that just blows us up and shuts us down. You know, like the Word of God is not in, you know, in, uh, I guess, against science. Um, uh, and so, if I'll, I'll pose this question: If the uh, Discovery Channel did run a series that they found the body of Jesus, um, and and I say it this way because I've heard Christians say, "Well, if they found the body of Jesus, that wouldn't really change how I believe." And I would say it should change everything we believe. And, and because of this scripture, it says, if Christ has not raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And so thinking about uh, Jesus' bodily resurrection validates the claim that he is the promised Messiah. And like Megan said in, earlier, I mean, if, if, if the resurrection is not true, then we're just believing in a good man that died on the cross. Um, and so... There's huge implications, and that's why we're going through this doctrine series because it's so easy to not think through how, if you if you if you waver from uh, from these these biblical teachings, how the theology can just get all messed up, and then anything goes. Um, and and there's a another statement down here. It says, apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no savior, no salvation, and no forgiveness of sins, and no hope of a resurrected eternal life. Um, we talked uh, recently, we, we were in a series and we defined justification. And so um, when I was studying this, it, it talked about Christ's resurrection ensures our justification. Um, and so to me, it's like it's the, it's the final part, you know, it's the final approval. Um, you know, believing, in, and when it comes to doctrine, you got to, it's a, it's a total package. I mean, that's why it's so important to, to believe in the um, the virgin birth, and he was not in the line of Adam's sin, uh, and then he did live a sinless life, and he did physically die, that he took our sins and gave us his righteousness, and he did uh, resurrect, uh, defeating death. So, I mean, this is, it's, it's validating the claims that he is the Messiah, the promised one, and if, if we take any of that away, then Jesus is not, and, 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 and Paul says we should be pitied upon all men that we sit in here and do this, and it's not true. Um, so there's a lot, this, this doctrine is, is, there's a lot on the table. Um, and uh, going back to the, the justification, how everything ties in, if we, if we look really quickly at a passage in Romans, you know, Romans chapter 4, I'll start in verse 23 when I, when I get there. Romans 24, I'm sorry, Romans 4. Yeah, 4.23. Says, but the but the words it was accounted to him talking about Abraham were not written for his sake alone 
but for ours also. It was counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So we see that this, the justification, uh, meaning declaring that we're not guilty, but we're righteous before God, is tied into Jesus' uh, resurrection. Um, that when I was studying for this, I, I used a, a systematic theology book, and, and I thought he did a good job just kind of summarizing everything. It says that by raising Christ from the dead, God the Father was in, was in fact saying that he approved of Christ's work of suffering and dying for our sins and that his work was completed, and that Christ no longer had any need to remain dead. In the resurrection, God was saying to Christ, I approve of what you have done, and you have found favor in my sight. In this way, Christ's resurrections gave, resurrection gave final proof that he had earned our justification. And so now that we've, we've really walked through um, and defined out the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and, and, and the shift is now, what does that mean for us? Um, kind of an application in the in the doctrine of resurrection it just doesn't i guess um, deal with the resurrection of jesus christ it also is a truth that all men will be resurrected and have to face um, judgment so um, when it comes to this definition uh, resurrection specifically talking to mankind another definition to, to lay down is that it's the future bodily rising from the dead of all persons believers in christ raised to eternal life and bliss with God, and unbelievers raised to eternal death in torment and separation from God. And so this is where a lot of times rubber hits the road in, in the, the message that we, it's so important for us to hold to the full counsel of God and to be able to proclaim both messages. Um, and so instead of just believing and hearing a definition, let's look at some scripture real quick together to kind of line this out. Um, we'll start in Acts chapter 17. You're unbelievable flipping that Bible, dude. Just like I don't even hear it moving. You're there. Um, Acts 17, starting verse 30. It's just like, did you read my notes before I got here? Um, Acts 17, verse 30. It says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commends all people everywhere, commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, which is Jesus. Who has been appointed, and this he has given assurance to us all by raising him from the dead. So we are assured that this is coming, and Christ is going to judge, uh, be the judger over us when we're, we're there, all peoples, um, by the resurrection. Um, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, I'll just read it to you real quickly. It says, And many of those who sleep, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life. And some to ever, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Um, the last scripture we'll look at um, is in Second Thessalonians, and it's in ver- chapter one. See how fast Randy gets there; it like beats me to it. Second <laughs> Thessalonians, chapter one. Um, I'm going to start in the middle of. Verse 7, it says, When the Lord is revealed from heaven with the mighty angels and flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might, 
when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. And so this truth about the resurrection, that those in Christ will, be re- will rise uh, to be with God and in glory with him, and those outside of Christ will, will rise to eternal death and in torment and, and separation from God. Um, my hope, and it gets to our my hope, is for us as believers and us as a church, um, that as a believer in Christ, that, that tonight, that this doctrine of resurrection would, would first of all, produce a deep humility uh, in you, that what Christ has done uh, on the cross and in the resurrection, and, and he saved you. And that through that, that would lead to worship of him and him alone. Uh, but the second part of that for us, this truth, is that it would also, because of this, these last verses that we've read, that would also produce in us a, a deep passion and a desire to see those outside of Christ come to know him. And, and because they are sitting under the wrath of God until they are in that relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you're not a believer in Christ, that that's my... My hope for, for this doctrine that it would spur you into repentance and that you would uh, come to Christ and, and, and trust in him as your salvation alone uh, for the just wrath that is due to you. Um, and so I would like to conclude um, this section as continuing to read out a Second Thessalonians, um, this first chapter. And, and for this, it, when I was thinking about this and came across this, this is like my prayer to, to you as, as somebody that's coming to serve at Doxa. And so, let me just read it. It says, To this end I always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen.